Oh, she's super cool. Oh, thank you. But I feel like we, um, you don't know me and I don't know you, but we would have a lovely lunch together. Um, Cause I feel from you, like you like people <laughs> and um, that you have an interest in helping them be their best selves. And that doesn't come around so often. It should come around way more often, but I, um, I, I love the Harriet Tubman movie and I loved reading about her, but the whole thing about, well, I'm just doing this while Brigham's doing his thing, but um, his, her sister didn't want to be saved because she didn't know she was a slave. That wasn't just for her sister, but I, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Thank, okay. thank you for the feedback, Marley. I would love to connect. Love to connect. Welcome once again, guys, to Leveling Up. Uh, you're here with Brigham Blackham. We're going to be talking about how the Aloha effect can increase your business. And I have one of my very favorite people in the world, Marilee Webb, with us today. Uh, she is one of the the people that has helped shape shaped me. I'm going to get choked up because I love her so much. But she shaped me into the person that I am today. And even though uh, we don't always have the time to, to be around each other, we've always uh, shared that love. And she's someone that I care deeply about. And she's She's helped me with my relationships, with my my performance, with so many different elements of life. I have Marilee isms pop in my head all the time because of the wonderful uh, person that she is. She's a great entrepreneur. She's a great teacher, a great mentor. And I'm so grateful to have you on today. Good morning, Marilee. How are you doing? I'm good. Aloha, Brigham. Aloha. Um, this is a big, warm hug and yeah. breathing your air. Ah, love it. Thank you. How can I help you? I mean, we talked about, I have some ideas. Um, you asked me to do a little background, but the first thing is, why is this, uh, the Hawaiians call someone like me a haole? Mm -hmm. um, why is this haole talking about the aloha effect? Um, I had the awesome privilege back in the year two, 2002 to go teach at, frankly, this will surprise you, the most diverse university in the world it's Brigham Young University, Hawaii. And the reason it's so diverse, there are over 71 countries just in 2,400 students. It's a tiny campus. But I went there, um, a, a professor had left and they needed somebody quick. And so originally it was just a 10 month contract. And so I was like, okay, I'm not a touristy kind of person. I don't like to, I love to travel. I've traveled a lot. You and I have even gone to China together. We yeah. have. Um, anyway, but I had no idea what was going to happen when I stepped on that island, but I knew I was going to be there just only for 10 months and I was just going to embrace everything. And I started talking to my Hawaiian students and my Hawaiian colleagues, like teach me about Hawaiiana. And the thing is the Hawaiians believe that when God breathed into the nostrils of man, which by the way, includes women, always mankind includes women, but that God gave mankind their ha, their breath of life, their essence of who they are. So when a Hawaiian who really gets it, because they all, if they still are on the islands, um, they get dinged if they don't be aloha, right? Uh, sometimes when they move here on the mainland, they forget, which is a little sad. But anyways, when a Hawaiian says to you aloha, they always put a little emphasis on the ha part. Because when you breathe air of someone else, when you share others air, it changes you. And so when they say aloha to you, they're saying, here is everything about me. Um, 
here I am. And when you say aloha back, then you're saying, and here I am. And now we're sharing air, which keeps us alive. And I promised myself that after I left the islands, that I would never lose my aloha, which means how I treat people and how I act when people treat me differently than I would like to be treated. Mm -hmm. So I continue to share that with my students. Um, you and I had the awesome privilege of even doing a, a very sacred Hawaiian chant on the Great Wall of China. Oh my goodness, think about that. And even though um, you speak way more because <laughs> you're so good at languages, but I knew the few phrases to make sure that um, I could greet somebody and where is the bathroom. But um, it, even then when we chanted together, everyone quiet, listen, what's happening in our space. Um, so that's, the effect of aloha is how you be. It's not it really to just say it's their word for hello and goodbye. It just cheapens that word. It's how you be. And it's how you be no matter how you are treated. That is the huge essence. Um, I, I would like to follow on what Carla said. Don't ever apologize for religion. Um, it's, it's how Christ treated people, even hanging on the cross. He said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing to me. So, Father, forgive them. So I think the big difference about aloha is how you act when people treat you poorly. Mm. And I purposely didn't say react. Sorry, I yeah. said act because a reaction is a not thought provoked and it's based on uh, emotion and previous experience. So, yeah. And you act, you respond. You don't just react. Right. Or and react. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've just noticed, um, especially as a teacher, I, I have a different situation now. I'm, I'm teaching in a homeschool setting, mm -hmm. which is fascinating because um, so the parents are just so involved because they're taking on the education of their whole children, their whole children's education. But I've just noticed outside of that, that people are just getting more, they don't care. I'm just going to act how I feel. And nobody's responsible anymore for their actions and scary. Yeah. So Marilee, so that everyone can have a little bit more of your background, tell us a little bit about how you started your, your own business. Cause I know you did a business on the side while you were teaching. And I, I think it's such a great business because it, it actually aligns perfectly with what I think is your genius zone. What we were talking about earlier. Tell us a little bit about your business and your experience. So, so all my life, I have been entrepreneurial. Like I had my own piano studio when I was 16. I've always liked to make my own money. Um, I taught babies how to swim. So I paid for my own college. Literally, I graduated with my bachelor's and master's with no debt, college debt. I, I have some debt now, but because um, I like cars. Oh, <laughs> anyway, um, but I've always liked to work for myself. But I also like to teach. Mm. And so I have always... I've taught in public school. I've taught at university level, um, all of that, but I've always had business. So um, the the reason so I was thinking about how did it all get started? Um, I'm going to do a little story that I don't know if you ever heard, but it will help, help you understand why. And then I'll just talk about the businesses. But um, when I was five years old, uh, I was raised at that time, we were in Pleasant Hill, California. And every day in the summer, I would go to a swimming pool for the, you know, the community swimming pool. And apparently, and I did not know this, I was on a swimming team. Um, I just knew that 
my coach, I, he was probably 16. I don't know, but I just knew he was beautiful to me. Mm-hmm. And he would say, Marilee, swim over there. And I'd be like, okay. So I just swim over there. And he taught me how to dive. Apparently I was pretty good at it. Um, Cause I knew that if I didn't push off and go really hot far, I would hurt my tummy because you know, my belly flop swim over there, swim over there. And then they started talking about swim meets. I'm like, Ooh, swim meet. Um, what is a swim meet? But I didn't know. And one day they came and brought us all the same swimsuits for the girls and then same swimsuits for the boys. I was like, wow. So woohoo. I went home and I tried my little swimsuit on and it was a little tight under my arms. So my mom cut slid out and put in some extra fabric i mean took some time on my little swimsuit now it's the day of the swimming which i still don't know what it is so we go to the pool that i've been going to the whole summer and all of a sudden now everything's different so there's tons of cars in the parking lot where only before just the kids of the hour right so i noticed that and then i could hear guns going off what is happening um and then i walk into the pool area and there are flags colored flags hanging over what i didn't know were lanes because i just knew swim over there but now flags and people cheering and big kids big kids are swimming and gun pew pew um and then i was standing there with my parents and i remember this and i went i don't want to swim so my dad he um the way he showed his love uh is like this come on early um and he's like, of course you're going to swim. I said, I'm not going to swim. And my mom, Marilee, do you love this? You got a new swimming suit. Nope, nope, nope. And then they called the coach over who I left. And he's like, Marilee, apparently I was the best swimmer on the team. Like I could help them win, but I didn't know that. I just knew swim over there. Um, and he kneels down. Come on, Marilee, we need you to swim. And I was like, nope, nope. Because Brigham, it, I was afraid. Like, why are guns going up? Yeah. I had never been told to start to swim with a gun. I just was like, they'd go, go. And then we'd, anyways. So I stood there, stood there holding my parents' hands and um, I did not swim. Mm. You thought I was going to swim, right? But I didn't swim. So I watched my friends, who's apparently our team, and they jumped in the pool and they had a great time. And here's the thing that's a little cool about me. That is when I determined as a five-year-old that I would not let fear determine my choices. Mm. Never again was I going to not do something because I was afraid. And so since then, I'm a yes. I have actually accepted um, some job. Have you ever conducted an orchestra? Yes. Um, so I, I'm now admitting that I have lied because when I said I had conducted an orchestra, I had not. But how do you get experience without experience? Um, unless it's illegal or immoral, or you could die, try yes. How come no is t- tends to be? And I have recognized now in all my years of teaching, I am 64 years old. So I've been teaching people since I'm 16. Hmm. So many, and especially adults, They don't do stuff because they're afraid things Mm -hmm. that they don't even know that they probably would love. There are so many people who do jobs that they hate because they're afraid that the one that's going to give them joy is not practical. Um, And I find it fascinating because um, you you work it out when you do the things that give you joy. So um, anyway, I, um, I have always been a yes. Um, 
I, I do want to put a little caveat on that. I am a very prayerful person. So I, um, for the last several years, I asked God, is this what you want me to do? Um, and usually it's a yes. Um, and when it's a no, um, I generally find out why later. Not always, but um, so that's the one caveat. So here's what happened. Uh, I am in my second year of teaching. I'm not going to say the name of the school because... I had a funky um, experience with my principal. I'm in my second year of teaching and my little men's course, I'm teaching choir. I had a little men's course, um, they're little boys, but they're seventh and eighth graders and they were invited to sing at the MENC National Conference, which is Music Educators National Conference in Fresno, which is where I spent the rest of my growing up years because they were so good sounding. They weren't as good as the Vienna Boys Choir, obviously, but they were very good. They loved to sing. So um, because I was from there, we could have housed those boys. I had friends. We could have housed and fed them. And basically, it would have just been a bus ride to Fresno and back, which was a, a not a big, like less than $100. So I went into my principal and I said, um, we have this opportunity. And he actually said these words to me. Merrily, I don't, I don't want you to do anything. I just want you to babysit those kids. He actually said, babysit those kids. And I realized, um, first of all, I'm not making enough if you're having me babysit them, because even if I was making a buck an hour per kid, you make way more money babysitting than teaching school in public. So at that moment, I decided I was going to do my master's degree. I finished the semester. And as a gift for my students, I thought, what can I do that will help them disremember Miss Webb? So I went into the recording studio and I made it back in those days. So this was in 1985 when Minus Tracks karaoke was huge in Japan because that's where it started, but not big here so much. And I actually recorded instruments and hired some people and I made some tracks for my students for their final concert. So they sang to bigger orchestral things instead of just me playing the piano. And my roommate's mom, this is the yes part, was sitting in the concert and afterwards, she came up to me and said, where did you get the music you were singing to? And I said, I made it. And um, how did you do that? So we had this conversation. And she said, at the time, she was a director for a group called Sunshine Generation, which was a national children's performance group. And um, at that time, they were using dance music, which is great if you're just dancing. But when you're singing, Sometimes the music was too high or too low, too fast or too slow. Rhyme didn't matter, but that's yeah. And so she said, I would like you to meet the national director to see if you can work something out. So I'm 24 years old and I meet with this woman who is very accomplished and has built a franchise like a McDonald's of performance groups all over the country. Wow. And we're meeting and she's talking. Now, remember, I've only been in the studio once. But my, my college degree was very deep diving. I'd learned how to arrange and I knew lots of things about how to create music. And so we worked out a deal and um, I told her that I would only do this if I had a national contract, like that it would be exclusive. And I, I'm so glad that I had the foresight to say exclusive, like I'm the only one that's gonna, if I do this, I'm gonna be the only one. And she said, well, we got to go for a year to see if it really works. And then I will give you that exclusive. 
And it turned out to be one of the greatest experiences of my life because I hired people like Kirk Bester to come and play trumpet on these little kids' tunes. Um, but I spent so much time in the studio, which now got to the other thing of my businesses. But in doing that, I was making um, a buttload. And P.S. buttload is not a swear word. It's actually in the dictionary. It means it's an amount of liquid. And I think it's 26 gallons. But So I was making a buttload of money as a person under 30 creating music because I said yes. Um, and remember, I didn't have a lot of recording experience. But what I do is, man, I learn everything I can. And I am wolfing down information and calling people. What do I need? Um, from there, um, when I was leaving Brigham Young, BYU, Hawaii, I got a letter from the owner of the piano method that I learned on when I was five. And she had taken it over after the name, man's name was C.W. Reed. It's called Reading Keyboard Music. She had taken over um, and helped make sure that after he passed that none of his stuff, it's a brilliant, it's the fastest, for real, most efficient way I, I, I can have ever seen to teach learning how to actually read music, piano music. Most people don't really read it. They listen and then practice, practice, listen and fake it. Um, but I got this letter from this lady and she said, I'm going to retire. I would like to sell the business to you because I feel like you care. And um, I said, yes. So I own the copyrights of the method that I learned on when I was five. I own all of that. So that business is called Reading Keyboard Music. Its website is readingkeyboardmusic.com. And that's, I just want to make sure that if everyone who would like to play the piano really knows how to read music. Um, and, and so I, I made a DVD course for folks who couldn't get a piano teacher because in the mainland, there's piano teachers everywhere. But I was teaching kids from Kiribati, an island I never heard of, but it's spelled K-I-R-I-B-A-T-I, -I -I, but it's pronounced Kiribati. Um, I wanted to make sure everybody, like the fireman in New York, who's always wanted to play the piano, but he doesn't want anybody to make fun of him, right? So I pictured him popping in a DVD and taking piano lessons while everyone is sleeping um, and learning how to actually read. Um, and then the last one, my other business is called Choral Rehearsal Tracks. So I'm a choral director. And um, <clears throat> I hate pounding parts. Singers, as a general rule, do not read music very well, if at all. Instrumentalists read because that's they have so many different parts. They have to know how to read what they're supposed to play um, and to what notes, you know, what to push on their instrument. Or, or But singers just have to open their mouth and figure their pitches out. Mm -hmm. So back in the year 2000, one of my friends, Alice Mutter, hand in my heart for Alice Mutter, who passed away some years ago, uh, called me up and said, we have been using rehearsal tracks for all states, choirs, and we feel like we can get do better. And we'd like to offer you this opportunity. Um, and so I was like, yes. Um, and because I'd been in the studio so much, because I'm a singer, I, I gathered specific friends who actually come in and sing. And we sing, they, we have them sing the parts for the singers. And then I created a way that others don't do where the, the voice part, like if you're singing bass, it's mm -hmm. in your left ear and everybody else is in your right ear. 
Um, we use live singers. And if anything is in a different language, I usually have a native speaker pronounce the words. Um, but choral rehearsal tracks so that people all over the world can learn songs faster. So those are the the two businesses that I'm doing. I just wanted to look. Um, do you want to say something? I talked a long time. No, you're good. I, I love hearing your, your background and your stories because what my experience with you is as a choir director for Raging Red, which was... Talk about Raging Red. I absolutely love Raging Red. This is a huge part of my development as a as a human being, not just as a performer. I mean, it did absolutely help me as a performer. I feel like that was like 10% of the value I got. 90% was as a human being, taking the time to sit down and, and figure out what we actually want to do with our life. I that was probably the most impactful course that I took at Dixie State was Raging Red for real, because it was, it was relationships. It was uh, making sure that the transitions of, of life that we were going through had meaning. And I knew when to do things and when not to do things. And then it helped me cut out some things that I felt like I was not focused in. So here, here's an experience that I, I'll share about Marilee and myself. My first semester after I got uh, got uh, into school at Dixie State, I was taking 21 credit hours. And Woo! it was a lot. <laughs> I was a great learner. Here's the thing. I still am a great learner. I lifelong learner. love it. But the thing is 12 credit hours is full-time student. And I was also doing a play at the time. And I was in cheerleading. And I was in this show choir. So my schedule, I had like, 20 hours of stuff I was doing every day and you get burned out pretty quick. And I remember specifically Marilee took me to the side one time uh, during that first semester. She's like, all right, so I know you enjoy cheerleading. You're very good at it. Like you do a lot of tumbling and stuff. However, is that going to help you live, uh, live into who you want to be? Cause I almost didn't go to China because of an opportunity to, uh, be part of this cheerleading squad. And I, I thought about it. I was like, well, I love languages. I much rather go to China than I would to football games. <laughs> and I realized that sometimes just because we're good at something doesn't mean we need to keep holding on to it and keep doing it. And I, I actually said my second semester, I wasn't going to do cheerleading because I wanted to focus on my performing arts and on my, on, on the things that I, I felt like I was excellent at, not just good at. And that was a huge difference. And that literally changed the way that I uh, I, I went about my, my college career, saying no to some things so I could say yes to the things I really wanted. Huge. That was huge. And I want to be clear. I think cheerleading is great. It yeah. changed the games, you know, because players are in focused on their thing. But the, the I call it an audience, what, the crowd. Okay, <laughs> such a performing geek. But the crowd needs that connection like a liaison between what's happening not always but sometimes and the cheerleaders do that so when i approached you it wasn't like cheerleading is stupid it was like yeah. hmm that's it what's the level of what is really going to make you you because i know that it was very hard for them when you left um yeah. and i didn't intend that you would leave i just wanted you to think about why and folks you should know that brigham is a brilliant performer um he comes by that naturally and he's very good 
at just making people feel like they they want to be his friend and go to lunch when he's on stage. Like, I think this guy, this guy's really cool. If you remember, we did from Tangled, mm -hmm. the I've got a dream and Brigham was yeah. our hook. Thug. <laughs> um, and everyone was props. All the girls were the props because we didn't have any, we, we never had props with us. It was a brilliant number, but it was adorable. And not just that, our serious numbers as well. But I, you were so, and this is not, I love you too, man. This is for real. You wanted to be taught and you were a sponge, um, exponential sponge. Mm -hmm. um, I still remember Yo Bun Fa. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Tell the people what Yo Bun Fa. Yeah, here, I'll pull this up. <clears throat> this right here is Yobanfa, right? It is, it's from Moroni 7, uh, uh, verse 33 says, and, <clears throat> and Christ has said, if ye'll have faith in me, ye shall have power to do whatsoever thing is expedient in me. And it's this idea that if we have faith in Christ, whatever he asks us to do, we have the power, the ability, the way to accomplish that. And for him to ask you to do something and give you no power to do that. Yeah. And the reason it became so expedient in China, I don't know how many of you have been to China. It's beautiful. The people are lovely. And there's communism there. We mm -hmm. learned that only 3% of the Chinese are communists. Um, they're just living their lives. But it was very hard um, because the Communist Party made did this roadblock at every turn and we would make arrangements for performance venues. And then we get there and it's the size of a postage stamp. And they're like, is this not good enough for you? And uh, we just made everything work. And that's the Yobanfa was like, we make this work because our job was to go and make a connection with the people. Um, and we did it through singing and dancing, but the bottom line, and this is how I feel about all teachers, whether you're a math teacher or you're a football coach, it's to, to make connections because it's all about the connections with the people. And that's why the ha from the aloha meant such a big deal to me. Like I, when I understood that, that just made me, it's like it opened up a portion of my brain and my heart. Like I get it. It's really about connecting. We came here to connect. Mm -hmm. um, I even do it when I'm going to the grocery store. And I'm walking past people. I, it's the, and I'm not being Pollyanna. My friends accuse me of Pollyanna. Pollyanna to me is actually a compliment. Uh, people think you can't always be that happy all the time, but I am. I have a lot of crap. I wanted to say a deeper word, um, <laughs> but I don't want you to be offended. Not you personally, but by a word that I say that doesn't mean anything except it's deeper. Mm -hmm. I've had a lot of crap in my life. I've had people try to remove me from jobs. I've had people gathering students to destroy my career. Um, okay. <clears throat> we can still, as I'm walking by somebody in the grocery store, I'm like, man, I hope they're having a good day. Um, when the checker is checking out me out, I'm like, I look at them like, you know, thank you for doing this. Um, and sometimes I feel impressed to say, you know, how you doing today? Like for real, instead of usually when people walk by each other and they're, how are you? And they say, fine. They're really saying just hello. They don't really want to know how you are. Yeah. Um, 
I wanted to share a couple other things. Mm -hmm. My mom always taught me that you can get more flies with honey than you can with vinegar, um, which is just another way of saying, um, I'm surprised about how many teacher, how many people in leadership positions like teachers, anybody that's in charge. If you're in charge of someone else's time, you're a leader. I'm, I'm so surprised about how people in leadership positions often act the way they feel. Mm. You, you don't get to, just because you're tired or you've had a bad day, it doesn't mean you lose your decorum. Um, your job is to hold it all together. And then when you're done, you go someplace else and do what you need to do to clear all that out of you. But being gracious and kind, I am amazed how many people, I teach voice, I teach voice and piano. I'm amazed how many people come to me damaged here and in their hearts by past voice teachers mm. who don't feel like they can sing because the way their teacher handled the most fragile thing that they have. You, they say that the most difficult thing to do is to speak in public. And Brigham, I, I think the most difficult thing to do is to sing in public. There are people who are Fortune 500 presidents and CEOs and billionaires who would stand up in front of 100,000 people and give a speech. But if you ask them to sing, I, I think that's a lesser group of folks. And so to be unkind as the singing teacher about someone's voice, it makes no sense to me. So as a business, as a business owner, my job is to make sure my employees, anybody who um, I write a paycheck for, anybody that encounters me on the phone, um, walking by, my job's to make sure they feel safe with me as a human. Um, I didn't always come that way. I had two employees who were older than I. And one time, so here's me, I'm all about the business. So I'd call her up, her name's Jane. And um, I'd be like, okay, Jane, here we go. Ba, 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 ba. And I did that all the time. Like, was like, I got, we got the business. I don't have a lot of time because I'm teaching. I got a, and finally one day she stopped me and she said, Marilee, do you realize you never ask me how I am? You just launch. That's the word she used. You just launch. And I was all, first I was offended. Like, well, we don't have time, Jane. I didn't speak this out loud. Thank God, literally. Um, and then I was all, oh my gosh, you are right. To this day. So that's been more than 20 years. It's been before I went to Hawaii. To this day, I I want to know when I ask you, Brigham, how are you? I'm waiting. And sometimes if you don't want to tell me, I'm okay with that. Um, but I, I'm asking with an intention to know how you are. So I had one of my employees smack me in the face. Hello, McFly. <laughs> I'm helping you. You need me to help you find out how I'm doing today. So we can actually connect. She was going to help me anyway, but and the other one is Chris. Chris worked with me for OPS. I always say my employees work with me, not for me. And I think that difference between for and with changes the whole feel 
of everybody because especially in businesses that are bigger, the people who are dealing with the public in the business and they need to be, they need to know how important they are and how much power they have because um, it's always weird to me that you're at Walmart and you're, you um, buying something large because it can happen and they have to call someone who's not been with you, checking you out to come over the manager to go click. Okay. Why don't the, why don't the people who are checking, why don't they get the, I mean, they're the ones dealing with thousands of dollars a day. Why do they have to have someone come over? And in that moment, when they bring somebody else, it makes you feel like, well, this person, they don't have any authority. They, yeah. So Chris worked with me through thick and thin, and we had a lot of thin years. There was some weird things going on when I was, my company at that time was called Sunshine Audio Incorporated. So I had my, my corporation started when I was 24 years old. And she was very good with numbers. She was very good at making sure that every bill was paid. In fact, um, I handed over my personal finances because I don't care about them. <laughs> I mean, I want to pay everyone, but I have n I, I've never checks. I've never bought, you don't know what checks are. You used to write things on paper and that was our money. I yeah. never balanced my checkbook. My dad was an accountant and he was horrified that um, I never balanced my checkbook, but because it never, so, okay. Because I just saw people who were two pennies off and then they'd spend time to find the two pennies. But anyways, I turned my finances over to Chris. And I found out later that she was, when we were in the thin times, I didn't know how thin it was, but she was holding checks, her own checks, because she knew there wasn't money to cash her check. And when I was in Hawaii, she kept the business running back on the mainland and I would call her up and give her some assignments. Um, after I found out how she was, it was after the Jane, how am I, how are you? But, and then I never kind of recognized what I was asking her to do. You know, on paper, do this is two words, do this. But the actuality of making that happen. And finally, one day she called me up, she called me and she was teary. And she said, you don't know what I do for you. And it occurred to me, you would want to know. So I'm embarrassed, but I'm going to tell you what I do for you that you don't know. Brigham, oh my gosh. I was mortified. And then on top of that, I'm holding my checks. I had no idea that the person working with me was keeping the business floating while I was off teaching the world, those two things, yeah. To me, I paid my employees well because I um, I believe in the, the economy of God. He has all, all money, um, all of it. And um, if you treat your people that are helping you make you do this happen, man, they, they, all of my employees, nobody ever quit. Um, I had a couple gals who worked with me for more than 20 years. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, if you're a business owner, you need to be part of the team and very aware of that, all the members on the team.
and realize they work with you, not for you. Because if the team goes away or if the team is an ass to a customer, you don't even need, you wouldn't even know. Um, and I would tell my, my gals that work with me, like what it, even if the customer is like an idiot, you give them their money back because that $30 purchase is not worth any of our feelings of what is being dumped on us. And it, it mm -hmm. comes back a hundredfold. Yeah. You know, earlier uh, in what you were, you were saying, it, it comes down to the connections that we make with people, how we treat them, why we treat them. And even that distinction of, hey, you work for me too. You work with me, alongside me. That's a huge distinction. Uh, my, my word for this year, I think it's interesting. I had my one of my business coaches say, hey, choose a word for this year. My word is guanxi, which in Mandarin means relationships and connections. And the second word she in that is actually system. It's a system of relationships, a system of communication, a system of treating other people. And I remember there was this moment when we were in China where we we got full-fledged what communism felt like. Yeah. Because <laughs> we were in this theater, right? And we were in this national theater. It was beautiful. And because of the, the communist government, they were not on their AC day. They could not have their AC turned on, which we in America have no idea what that's like because I'd never experienced that. They had public officials showing up to per that we were going to perform for. It was 105 or 110 degrees in this building. And we have like an hour long set that we're going to be performing. And backstage behind this the, the stage lights, it was like 120. We bring in all these water bottles and we're just like, Every time we're off stage, we're just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and we run back on, but we're performing great. And then backstage, just toweling off this crazy amount of sweat. And I remember how, how gracious and kind we were to the officials. We didn't make them feel bad that this was their normal. And it was, it was such a unique experience being able to put forth as much energy and effort and the very best that we could as far as our performance under very challenging circumstances. And of all the performances, that was one of those that just was burned into my memory, not just because it was so hot, but because of the way we we still treated every single person in the audience. We we did this number, which I loved about the way that Marilee taught us. We would go and we'd connect with people. We'd bring them on stage during this number. And that Comedy Tonight number we had an elected official and he had all these goofy hats on and oh my gosh, it's so funny. But at the same moment, we made that guanxi, we made that connection, that relationship. And you could see the massive shift in the audience from the beginning where it's like, oh, it's so uncomfortable, it's hot, to the end when everybody went through that experience. All of us were hot. It wasn't like only the performers. Every single person in there was like drenching <laughs> in sweat. So funny, but I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, and I want to tell the audience that when Brigham is talking about the sweat, so usually when you sweat, you see it in the armpits and then like the guys on their chest or in their back, their uh -huh. costume, their outfits, they just wore um, long sleeve shirt and pants completely changed color. There was not one dry part. Um, the, um, and I remember when we got there, it was so hot. And Philip, our awesome Chinese friend, 
yes this everywhere i said can you ask them to turn on the air and he's like okay so he goes and he comes back he's like today's not the day <laughs> it's like what do you mean today's not the day it's a it's done by day if you remember they can only drive if their license plate ends in a certain number that's the day they drive and if it's not do not drive that day but the quote that someone gave me when i was in hawaii renee which was this is adversity does not build character it reveals it mm. i'm gonna say that one more time because the more you think about it adversity doesn't build character it reveals it it doesn't show us it doesn't make us be like we're gonna hunker down adversity actually shows what we're made of mm -hmm. and you find yourself in adversity going oh i'm not as resilient as i thought um because we didn't have a choice we were either going to be, you either get to be happy and sweaty or sad and sweaty. You were still going to be sweaty. Um, we were happy and we had a blast. Yeah. And it's a funny story to talk about. <laughs> one other thing about that story, um, one thing we always do in Raging Red, would we would teach the kids from the town we were going to, you know, as many as we could, a dance. And then we would put them in the show with us, again, making a connection. The students, the Raging Red students would teach the dance. So I asked the stage manager through Philip, okay, where can we teach the dance? Can we, can we do it outside? Nope. Um, why is that? Well, first of all, they had, remember, I don't know if you knew this, they had chain linked the doors shut. There was only one door that you could open. And that was the main door. Every other door to the building was chain linked, locked, because that's how they control where people come in and out. And the stage manager said, if you go outside, I will get fired because that is a gathering of people and that can't happen in the public. They don't want people to gather. With that, I was able to talk with the stage manager through Philip and Philip was also very good. He said, these people have been here. We've done this before. They're just gonna teach a dance. It literally is 20 minutes. We can hide in a place. And, and Philip was able to talk to them. So we still got to teach the dance, but because of the way we massaged that situation instead of, bah -bah! yeah. Yeah. And uh, it was about listening. It was about being receptive to what their actual concerns were. Cause she didn't want to lose her job over, you know, a 20 minute gathering that didn't make right. sense, but being able to, to diffuse that situation before it became a thing. One of the other Merrillyisms, if you will, that that pops into my head is sometimes we go through some really difficult challenges, and those challenges are actual things. And then sometimes you go through challenges, and you're like, "Oh, that's actually not a thing." And I love that. There's this time where where we all sat down, and uh, you're like, "All right, guys, sometimes life life hits you, and it's really hard. And this is a thing. Like maybe you have a loved one pass away, or you have something that's really challenging, and that's a thing. And then other times." maybe your your meal falls on the ground it it's not a thing and don't treat something that's not a thing as a thing and i would love to hear your your take on that again and maybe a little bit more of the the wisdoms that you've experienced as a teacher to be able to have those real heart to heart moments cuz i i remember those almost as much as i remember learning all of the songs and the dances so this is just they're, the world is full of performers and directors and everybody has their way and they work. For me, oftentimes performers perform in such a way that they are saying, 
look at me, look what I have worked on. I've worked very hard. Look what I have done. And then we clap for them because for real, yay for you, you are brilliant. And you know, people would be like, I'd love to learn to play the piano and real pianists go, no, you wouldn't because you didn't. And I did. So they, the focus is there. But I think through my whole life as a teacher and a director, both in community theater and professional theater and school theater, it's about not look at me, but I want to share with you what I can do because your job as the audience is as important as my job as the performer if, because if you're not there, then who do I perform for? And so with that shift of I'm going to share with you, it doesn't make the performer any less. It just brings up the level of importance of the audience and not that they can clap for us, but that we can share with them. When you're two years old, you're like, look at me, look at me. And you do your first somersault. You're not thinking as a two-year-old, behold, I have perfected the somersault. You are like, I know how to do something. And then you, you're you so joyful about that that you want others to be like, wow, that's awesome. Because you assume everyone else can do the somersault. That changes also the aspect of the performer. You're like, when we would go out there, we loved the performance. We loved sharing what we were doing. But to share, you have to be vulnerable. Mm. So I have seen performing groups that have no idea that an audience has given them their time. They have no, they have an idea, but that's said poorly. They don't care. The two things that people care the most about is how you spend their time and how you spend their money. So when someone is going to sit down and focus on you, well, that's a huge respect thing. And when you, understand that well now we have this beautiful thing where at the end of the show you know it's been successful because people don't want to leave not just to be with you the performer they don't want to leave because then when they get out in the world it all comes back the world comes back so it's that sharing but in order to share you have to be vulnerable hmm. so we spend a lot of time talking listening I did have a few students that were frustrated with me. About that. They would tell me, I feel like we talk too much. And be like, I know. But people, people, there were times, Brigham, there are other performing groups who were much more skilled. They had way more time in rehearsal than we could. Mm -hmm. Way more time. So we didn't have as much rehearsal time. Dixie, was a smaller school. We didn't get to draw on thousands of people from all over the country and we didn't have a huge budget. So those three things were kind of strikes against us. So I knew that, but regardless, even if I had the biggest budget and a million people auditioning and tons of time, we would still sit down and we talk about what we're doing and why and who we're doing it for and what's happening today. You don't feel good. How can I rehearse you if, um, your girlfriend left you today. Yeah, that was a thing. That would be a thing. And how can we, so let's spend some time and acknowledge it and see if we can still rehearse some things to help you through it. And it's not about getting into people's business. It's about understanding and recognizing their humanity so that they could let other people also have their humanity. 
You know, I, I had a good friend of mine share this with me as a professional actor. I, I heard this and I was like, that just resonates with me. It's give a gift to the audience. This may be the first time and maybe the last time they ever see this, this performance. And it definitely is the only time they'll see it in this exact moment. Theater is, is ephemeral. It's fleeting. It's not something that you, you capture and you're like, oh, that's the exact same experience watching it online as it is in the, in that moment. That's why people don't want to leave the theater after. And if we, if we actually have that sharing mentality, like you said, I'm going to give a gift. I'm going to do my very best so that you can share in this wonderful moment with me and we can make that connection. There's such a different distinction of, of performance than, Hey, let me show off for you. Let me make sure that you appreciate all the hard work that I put into this. Cause I have had times where that was the, the pedestal type of moment. And it's not the same as, Hey, let's invite you in and let's make a connection. Let's, let's build on, on what I've done and make this together, this synergy way more impactful than it could have been by just me performing on my own little stage. And I, I think that's, that's part of the, the value that you, you brought up too, is who's that one person in the audience that you're performing for? Who's that that person you're connecting with? When you have a joke land, who do you point point out in the audience to make sure that it goes through? And there's sometimes where where we forget to have fun. I I remember this uh, about three years ago. I was teaching uh, in theater, and I had a rehearsal where I felt like literally every single thing went wrong. We were doing a memorization rehearsal because in theater, you memorize an entire book. I don't know if you guys have ever done this before, but most people are like, hey, it's hard to memorize a page. You're like, well, I've got 120 pages and I have to have these high school kids that maybe have only been in a play or two memorize an entire book. So we're doing this memorization exercise. And I remember I took the fun out of it. Mm. And if you take the fun out of theater, why are you doing it? And about half the rehearsal, I was like, okay, something's off. Maybe I'm just angry or I'm frustrated. And we played an improv game for like 15 minutes. And when we came back and we actually did the memorization techniques, they were getting it. It was a huge difference because they they didn't have that, oh, I'm not doing good enough, that that self-limiting belief and the the walls that they put up for themselves. You took that down because they were having fun and they were okay to make mistakes. They're okay to get close enough to the line. And they're like, oh, let's tweak that just slightly. Here's how it goes. And having fun in those mistakes, it, it's something that I love about theater. It's something I love about performing. I don't think I've ever performed perfectly. Maybe, maybe once ever, but I, <laughs> I don't think it ever really happens. And that's part of the fun in our humanity. So Marilee, tell me about how you've been able to enjoy life despite the imperfections that we often experience. Quickly, before I do that. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I would say to Raging Red, the students, the performance group, find the person who was you at that age. If we were performing for seventh graders, find the seventh grader who was you. Notice them. And it didn't always happen, but when it did, when they would go out and teach and that, that them, seventh grade self would be in front of them, they'd be like, oh my gosh. And I would talk to them about it. help them know, you don't have to say this, but they're going to be okay because you're okay. That makes a huge difference. 
Um, tell me your question again. I apologize. When, when life is imperfect, when your performances aren't perfect, but you're still having fun, how has that appeared in your life and your business? And you're like, hey, I'm going to work through this despite imperfection, despite it not being 100% perfect. Yeah. Sometimes, honestly, it takes a good night's sleep. Mm. I'm not kidding. Sometimes it's, um, I find myself not often, but sometimes going, I, I think I'm finished with this day. I'm done. And it might be 7 p.m. And it'd be like, I'm going to go to sleep, not usually at seven, but whenever I can. And I'm going to wake up because I will feel different. One of the things that I've been working on, because I'm way into people's energy, and I want to start neutral every day. Yeah. I want to have, and when I wake up mad or anxious or anything that's negative, man, that just sucks the life out of your day. Yeah. I make a conscious effort to start neutral or actually waking up and being like, oh, here's how I do it. I, I would tell you guys all the time, I still eat to my students today, yesterday even in class, don't ever get used to anything. Mm. Don't get used to being able to smell. Don't be able to, don't get used to um, being able to see. Don't get used to wiping your own bottom. And then they all giggle. And I'm like, think about that. There are people who can't wipe their own bottoms. And that changes the bad stuff to be like, wow, look at all the things I can do. I have a friend. He's 30 years old. He was born. He's a twin. And um, his twin was born perfectly healthy physically. And he was born with so many abnormalities that the doctors told his parents he will not live. And if he does, he will be a vegetable. He will certainly never walk or talk or do anything. Um, he's 30. And he walks and he can talk. It's hard. You have to really work to understand him because his jaw doesn't shut. That's one of the things. But you know what, Brigham? He has never personally swallowed. He has the mechanism to swallow, but the brain is not hooked up to that mechanism. He's never tasted food. He's never had a drink of anything. He's fed through a tube in his stomach. And anytime that I'm feeling like, oh, I'm like, Eric can taste, he never has had food. And so when we're together at a restaurant, cause he comes, I'm like someday, Eric, Jesus is gonna let you and I, after we die, have a meal together because I don't ever wanna get used to eating and tasting and swallowing that thing don't get used to something and that changes everything mm. and that's how i work through because i'm i just threw this off but i have had people have meetings to get me fired that's big that's an energy of destruction that they're putting out and um it was very ominous and very overwhelming mm -hmm. but i lived and um and beyond that i've worked at um forgiving them because they don't know what they're doing it's not me that their issue is with something is missing in their lives and i happen to be let's put it on merrily uh, when we are angry at people it's usually not the people we're usually angry about something and they're the ones standing there so forgiving being aware of your own energy and being willing to be done. Yeah. Be done with that and move on. Um, some people live their lives as teachers 
they have the same day, the same January 15th every year. They pull out the same, you've seen it in your colleagues. They pull out the same worksheets. Oh my gosh, I'd have to stab myself in the eye. <laughs> I don't, I choose my literature based on who's in front of me for it. So sometimes I would choose Raging Red, some stuff, but then I'd see who shows up in the cast. And then we would look at things to um, highlight them based on who's in the room. Mm -hmm. And that's that being adaptable. I love this idea of don't don't get used to anything. I I was sharing a room with uh, a lady named Carol, uh, my very first teaching position, and her husband. He spoke English and, and German, right? And she was teaching German. We swapped rooms. Uh, he had an accident on the ice. Uh, he was swing. He was just uh, with his kids, and they were on on ice, and they were skating around and he slipped and he hit the back of his head and his English went away. He did, he couldn't speak English anymore. He had to relearn how to be, he still had his native language, but he didn't speak English anymore. And you think about it in his career here in America, you not speaking English is a big deal. So he went on disability for a couple months and he had to relearn every single thing. And then he no longer didn't speak without an accent. He actually spoke with an accent. You think about how how someone's life can can change in the blink of an eye. The fact that we're alive today, it's more valuable than than millions and millions of dollars. The the opportunity we have to to be alive and to breathe, like we need to breathe out and we need to breathe in. We have we have so many blessings that we sometimes forget to recognize. And I love that. Don't get used to it. Don't get used to it. Um Marilee, thank you so much for for just being who you are. And I, I love you so much. This Aloha effect, guys, uh, every single time we performed with Raging Red, I remember Marilee getting up and sharing this ha with other people. And that's why I want to bring it to all my friends here in real estate and business, because we never know when when we're our time on earth is is over. But we can share these moments and we can make these moments count. And thanks for making this moment count, Marilee. I really, I love you so much. I love you, Brigham, and I like you. And, and I like you. It's a choice. <laughs> yeah, we love our family. We don't always like them mm -hmm. um, until we choose to. But just tiny end thing, rather than just doing something because you never know when it's going to be your last thing, how mm -hmm. about you do it because it's way more cool than not doing it. Yeah. And then someday you die. And then you have a new, a new experience. But- not just because it might be your last day. How right. about you just do it because it's so much better physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, if you just choose something else, even when the bad things, I'm not discounting bad things. Mm -hmm. We came here for, we came here to be opposed. So what are we going to do with our opposition? So thank you so much, Brigham. I thank you, Marilee. I love you so much. And I like you. So thank you so much. Thank you. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in uh, live with us as well. Uh, if if you like this, keep tuning in. Like, follow, hit that, that bell to, to get the notifications. We, we really appreciate you supporting here. Have a wonderful rest of your day. God bless.